listening to the Inside Job Making CX Work podcast, where we share how you can make customer experience transformation a reality. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Inside Job Making CX Work. I'm your host, Jose Fabrian. And today we're going to talk about the wonderful world of retail. And, you know, we've certainly had all sorts of things happen over the last year. We wanted to talk with experts about what's going on specifically in retail, what are some of the innovations, and how can retailers and others learn from what's going on in the industry and do what they think is right. So today with me, I have Kelly Holmstrom, uh, as well as Dave Meeker. So Kelly, why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit, of, little bit about yourself? Sounds great. Hi, Jose. Um, good to be here today and talk with you guys. So um, I joined Merkle. I've been here about a year or so. I'm working with clients and we focus on customer experience optimization, real-time interaction management, and decisioning, which is you know, a lot of ways to say um, kind of executing that advanced personalization um, that so many companies are, are trying to make happen for their customer experience. So um, I'm excited to talk about this with you today. Great. Wonderful to have you, Kelly. And you and I have worked together before, and it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks. And uh, hi, guys. Dave Meeker. So I am the Global Chief Innovation Officer for Dentsu's Creative Service Line, which includes our creative agencies, as well as companies like Isobar and Firstborn uh, and 360i, um, where we really focus on, you know, experienced technologies. Um, we, I see us, you know, for lack of a better description, sort of a strategic uh, design and innovation firm, but with a real strong understanding of emerging and kind of experienced technologies. And then in the U.S., I manage uh, the actual design and innovation practice for that creative service line. So my team uh, comes up with ideas and executes them and builds them and uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's great to be here to talk with my, what I always look at, sh at the Merkle team as the bigger, more sophisticated folks <laughs> that make what we do, a lot, uh, you know, business valuable and long-term, and the integration between what you guys do and what we do is amazing, uh, and hopefully we can touch on some of that today as we talk about what's happening in retail. Well, Dave, we're, we're really pleased to have you here today, and so well, let, let's get let's get rolling. Um so if we think about retail, I think, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of change that's happened. You know, one of the things that I would start to ask is, you know, in terms of how how have retailers changed how they're merchandising, whether it's being in their physical locations or even online? What are, what are retailers doing these days to get the attention of buyers when they're on their own properties? I'll jump in. Um, well, I think one of the things we've got to talk about and tie back to what you're asking about, Jose, is, you know, in 2020 with the pandemic, so many retailers just shoved everything into digital, right? They had to, there, there was no choice. So um, what, what we're seeing, at, at least from my seat, is a lot of brands and retailers now that have, have really juiced up what's happened in digital. And now they've got to go back and translate how they now bring their retail side, you know, back. And one of the things that I think is interesting about that, uh, an example, and this was even uh, something that was in the works pre-pandemic, but I, I think it 
really was so smart is the if you look at the collaboration that Kohl's has done with Amazon, where if I'm uh, ordering something on Amazon, I can do my return via the, the Kohl's return line. And so I think that's an example where Kohl's was really smart because that's a traffic driver for them, right? People coming into their stores. And the other thing that I think is super smart about that uh, is that um, do you guys know how many households don't have a printer? I do not. So, so more than the estimates are like more than 35% of households don't have a printer. So think about that from the customer experience standpoint, you order something online in order to return it. You not only would have to go to the post office, but you'd have to print out a return label. You don't have a printer, but that's solved for by going in this case to Kohl's. So I think that's an example of real kind of collaboration and creativity that might bring in more feet to your retail store even then like tremendous merchandising. But, you know, that's from the customer experience side. Right. So in that case, we've got Kohl's being being the basically return center for for Amazon, but using its physical space better so they can get foot traffic and get people in the store to buy uh, from Kohl's. That's that's awesome. Exactly. I actually use it myself. <laughs> <And> it was <laughs> great because I don't like to use the mail. Uh, so it was really awesome for me. Uh, what, what about some some industries that you know have have really had their buying cycles change? I mean, one one comes to mind for me with with auto yeah. and just how that whole that whole buying experience is, has changed. Yeah, you know, I, I can jump in there. Um, so we recently, well, not recently, last year launched um, a platform for General Motors Cadillac specifically called Cadillac Live. And it's an evolution of this concept that we have had with various automotive manufacturers over time, starting with Fiat uh, and then moving to GM in Singapore, where Singapore has a problem with real estate. It's expensive and it's hard to get people and enough cars into that real estate to make it worthwhile ship to be a dealer. So creating like augmented reality or mixed reality experiences where people can bring a dealership into their house. But with Cadillac last year, um, and we're now moving forward with other GM brands is this notion of Cadillac Live, um, which is where you can go online, you can sign up uh, and join a salesperson who is in a studio with all of the Cadillac vehicles, and they can give you guided tours, answer questions, help you sign up for a test drive. Um, it's really nice. And we've seen really interesting results because, listen, in the pandemic, we still have to keep our eye on customer experience. People still got to buy cars. Um, but they don't want to come to a dealership. And in a lot of locations, uh, municipalities, there's laws against, um, you know, social distancing and stuff. It's kind of hard to buy a car when uh, the, all those things apply. So the idea that you can come in and have this online experience that mirrors a traditional experience has been very interesting. And I'll be honest, it's tipped us off to the fact that consumers really like this option of being able to have that in-store experience um, that takes them through this purchase journey, but do it their way in a digital manner. And we're seeing this not just for automotive, right? Automotive is a unique purchase. It's super expensive. It's complicated. There's a lot of rules around how do you purchase a car. But there's also a, a mental block that people have in buying other complicated things, washers and dryers, fine jewelry, uh, furniture even, right? Things that have to fit into a place 
things you want to be hands on with before you make that purchase. Uh, another quick thing is like last uh, holiday season, we actually worked on a thing across Dentsu with our partners, or our clients at, at Intel, um, talking about this amazing new line of these uh, Evo laptops that they have. But here you are launching a new line of laptops with your five OEM partners in a world where most laptop buyers that aren't technically proficient or uh, have a little more technical uh, wherewithal want to go into a retailer in many cases and see that machine or talk to that salesperson just to get themselves over that purchase hump. And so we've even brought that kind of virtual buying experience where you can do product information, product comparison and learning, speak with a sales rep and then convert them from a prospect into a customer. Uh, I would expect to see more and more of this as people's digital maturity increases and brands start to realize the value in these types of experiences. So, so Dave, is that, is that going beyond kind of the, the basic chat and kind of brochure and, and now having things like integrated uh, augmented reality or anything like that? That's exactly. exactly. So what we're looking at now so, you know, there's video obviously involved, and I'll talk about the GM example, and then we'll go a little broad. So in GM's world, there's real cars, but let's say you want to change the tires on a real car. We're not bringing a crew in to change the tires and look at new rims. So that's where we start to do virtual things overlaid top of that physical vehicle. Um, so there's some 3D content, and we expect that to move into more like a fully 3D world so that like the car itself becomes three-dimensional. That also works great. We're talking appliances or furniture. Um, there's some value, some things that are one-offs, pieces of art, right? If you look at like auction houses like a Sotheby's, that's different. Um, but if there are things that we can do digital, uh, we prefer to do them digitally. It gives you way more flexibility with configuration options and stuff. Um, augmented reality, absolutely. There's a, you know, we, we like to think of it instead of a try-on, it's a try-in. I'm going to try this thing in my living room and see if it fits between my TV and my bookcase uh, or whatever the case may be. Um, so there's, there's so much happening, but I think, yes, in terms of 3d photorealistic content, this is the year that it went from, Hey, maybe we could do that to, Hey, everybody, we need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It, and go ahead, Kelly. Yeah. Well, it's so cool too, right? Because when you, when you talk about like, how can I create a really personal experience in the, in the example for, for Cadillac, to map out and create like an online experience that's customized for each and every possibility, that's a huge lift. So I love this concept when you were talking about it earlier, Dave, when we were chatting about it, it's like, or you could just give a well-qualified human, a, you know, an interface and an ability for somebody to ask them to do the next thing, and then they can choose it. So it's like, it's this intermediary step between putting it all on the consumer to have to navigate on their own, which can be really hard to do and also disjointed. And it puts that human element in, but it lets them have the digital too. So I, I think that you could put that across a lot of industries um, and, and do it faster than maybe we were thinking about doing stuff otherwise before. And from my perspective, I mean, it sounds awesome. And as a, as a, consumer i want it because there's certain places i don't want to go or i can't go now right but like what does it take to get some of those things done like is it is it hard is it easy <laughs> like what do you have to do yeah i mean the, so let's 
quick pivot to this whole world of virtual shopping, right? So there's so much happening. Um, on the low end, it's easy. Like, look at what Walmart is doing with TikTok as an example. Yeah. Right? You got a person with a camera and they walk around the store and buy stuff. <laughs> and so th- it's really low. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, Pretty right? straightforward. Have their friends say, cool, let's, yeah. let's throw this in the cart too. Yeah. So it's super low fidelity, but super effective. Um, but those are also kind of these more like uh, in the moment, real time shopping experiences. We can talk forever about how the Internet is turning from a page based, predictable medium into what it appears to be like a real time platform. If you look at Clubhouse, which is this new app that came out, which is kind of a mix between you know, Twitter and podcasts. It's been in the news all the time. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Highly funded now. Yeah. Um, but, but, but like, imagine shopping going there, right? So it's a, a panel of experts talking about shoe drops or, or, or like sneaker culture. And then there's there's selling shoes in the process of expert content. So our notion of content is changing. Uh, I think the way we're bringing this stuff to consumers is changing. To that point, there's the lo-fi stuff. Then there's also hi-fi stuff. So it's more complicated. The more, I think, complicated the product can be, the more options you have, the more configuration. But one shopping person uh, or a sales associate in the right environment can service many different customers because you kind of move through them, talk to you, understand your needs. I might configure something on my side, push it to your browser. While you're looking at those products, I jump to the next one, right? And we can manage multiple shopping experiences with one expert behind the scenes. And here's what I think is fascinating. If you tie it all together, uh, you need salespeople that understand how to do this stuff. Well, if you look at TikTok as the example, all of those Gen Z people creating content, and it's not just Gen Z, right? There's a lot of older folks on there too. I won't say that that's me necessarily, but there's people creating amazing content through these tools. And it's uh, really fascinating to see, like it becomes, we used to talk about digital natives. Now it's like digital content producing natives. Uh, so I f- see like more and more brands as, as bigger companies that make commerce platforms like the Shopify's, like the SAP's, like the Adobe's, bring these platforms to market. I'm going to bet in the next five years, you'll start to see real-time content and sales tools that live behind the scenes there. Well, absolutely. I mean, and and that's some of the stuff that we've been doing with marketing partners too, right? Where you you pull in the real-time interactions, you you understand the context and that and you have first-party data, right? You connect those things and you have a, an algorithm give a recommendation for what would be the next best action or the next best thing to promote. And, and then you layer in what you were just talking about, Craig, which is like a really well-qualified salesperson. Think about how much faster you can make sales. And think about if you're a retailer, if your top 10% of your, of your sales team could handle like 50% more volume each because you're, you're making it easier for them. They're not having to physically go find seven different pairs of shoes in in the background, right? They don't have to go to the the stock room, whether it's virtual or real. They have things 
fed to them. You know, I'm sure we all have examples of, of different brands. Like if you think about sneakers, sneakers, a size, you know, whatever women's eight is not the same fit between brands. I know as a person, right? Like this brand, I'm, I'm an eight, this brand, I'm eight and a half. Um, what if your retailer already knew that? I mean, I'm sure they do because that's the size you always order. Feed it into to what your your seller's doing, or even better, what your TikTok feed looks like. It's only for recommendations for those influencers that have inventory in your size, in your color preference. That's like that magical yeah. sales experience that people love. Kelly, that's interesting because that's almost the, the don't waste my time. So it's an efficiency totally point for the for the consumer, right? It says, hey, you don't have this versus what happens to me sometimes is I'll go in, go look for something. Oh, they do have my size. And then you really get to the end of the checkout and they don't, which does piss me off. You know? Right. <laughs> but so, right. So just being smarter about that. Or go, it says, go ahead, I'll be shipping in four months. And you're like, yeah. no, that, that's not what's going to work for me. Yeah. yeah. We'll say, I was going to say, you know, it's it's. So let's talk about first party data for a second. Becoming really sophisticated, right? And if you look at like first of all, so that 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 product catalog that you're hitting either independently or with that online associate should only have products that you like. And we are at a point where we can probably do that. Now if you're shopping for someone else that is different, but we identify those things around you. What is your motivation? What are you here for? And then let's make that experience better. Nobody wants to browse 16,000 products. They want to browse those 50 products that are really right for them. And so how do we do that, right? It's better understanding the customer. You start to see things like what Amazon's doing with this Halo wearable. Let's be clear, right? It's about health and wellness. But if it can understand your body, uh, it can understand what's going to fit you better. And so to your point, Kelly, we're seeing more and more conversations around not size, but fit. And not just fit, but finish. So like two different sweaters are going to wear on your body differently. They're going to hug you differently. They're going to feel differently. And can we move now with better data and more opportunities for consumers to share their preferences and get some reward back with brands? I mean, we talk about this for a long time. I think given where we're at, um, and I won't even go into the whole, the, the why behind that. I think people are more akin, right, to to trade data for great experiences. Um, we've had a lot of privacy issues and there's been lots of conversations around um, privacy regulations. But I think that COVID, right, is, is giving, it, we're starting to meet in the middle, right, where we have businesses that were being too invasive with data. And on the other side, we've got consumers that have these evolved needs. And so while everybody's kind of like, well, the business side is shaping up and and legislation is keeping them in check. Now it's going to provide over the next five or so years, more opportunities for consumers to slide back into a more comfortable data exchanging relationship with brands. When you can do that, right? It's about picking clothes that fit me right. And, um, and we've seen lots of attempts at like smart closets and so on and so forth. But I think that we are at a point where, you know, if, if you look at all the stuff happening around data and AI and like machine learning and intelligent systems behind the scenes, what it means is that our customer experiences, our shopping experiences really feel like a one-to-one enjoyable, non-pressurized thing. 
that is really where the future is going. And it's going to be a time for brands to transform themselves to meet up with the customer expectations that are created by all of this new stuff coming together. Right. Right. And and when I think about, um, you know, how you translate that back into the in-person experience, which I think I would say you kind of originally asked us about, we, we talked about all these other things is I think there's an opportunity when, you know, kind of when the world opens back up, it, it, it's kind of starting to, to take the very best stuff from the digital online stuff we're finding, you know, filter it, only give me the things ready to go. I think there's that opportunity to go ahead and, and put that in place in, in store, meaning I could pre-schedule an appointment and tell you that I'm, I'm coming into your retail store. And it's almost like a, 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 a digital experience equals a personal shopper. Everything's curated for me when I show up in person. And I only look at the things I want to look at, touch and feel them. I choose my six things and I leave. I think there's an opportunity for that. Yeah. It, it's, it sounds to me like we're, we're really on the cusp of, you know, the buying experience the and even the servicing experience is really being enabled uh, and accelerated and just made better through the use of technology, whether you're doing it, you know, at home, right, on your phone or in or in store. I mean, right. it feels like we're, we're close. I, there's enough examples here in my mind that we're, we're, we're getting there. I, I don't know that it's you know everywhere just yet. And also, Dave, you were saying things. I thought were really interesting. Like when you go into the the clubhouse example or the or the TikTok example. I mean, we're, there are just new ways to sell now. For and sure. I think you know people need to be aware of these things and understand the the trends and and see where they can insert themselves. Whether it's a high five way, as you said, or or a low five way. I think it's I think it's really interesting. You know, Jose, something I I was just working on a on a, con a deck for a conversation. <laughs> that I was going to have uh, next week. And we're looking at Gen Z shopper behaviors and stuff. Um, two things stand out first from that live perspective. Like if you go to Facebook marketplace and you click on live uh, and you, and you start to see regular people in their living rooms selling stuff. So for a Gen Z shopper, and let's be really clear, they think differently <laughs> than we do. Um, one of the stats that we recently looked at was that, you know, 67, 68% of Gen Z want to shop in a store versus online, which isn't that far behind, but uh, these, it was 13% of Gen Z shop on an app most of the time, 13%, right? I shop on an app all the time. I don't want to go into a store. So there are still some generational differences. But what that means to me is that there's all sorts of new opportunities. Um, but brands have to pay attention to this because you don't want those independent individuals with access to some sort of merchandise to get on Facebook or TikTok and eat into your customer base because that sounds preposterous in a traditional world, but the world is no longer traditional. Is it going to be tomorrow? No. But if we don't create better experiences and, and revisit how we build the customer experience with our, you know, our customer base, uh, things could change pretty quick. You know, a decade from now, fully different and brands that today are iconic 
struggling. But we've seen that happen in the past with other brands from the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. Let's shift the topic a little bit. So the, the pandemic has certainly driven a lot of movement uh, digitally. It's changed uh, some level of buying behavior, obviously a lot more takeout and curbside pickup. Are there, you know, they, people have said that, you know, 10 years of e-com growth happened in a few months. What do you think is going to go away? Like, what do you think is going to actually not not last the test of time? Is there anything here that people are just going to go like, we're done with it? Or, or is everything here to stay? Uh, you know, I think that one one part that needs to go away or, or needs to be adapted is this sort of... Um, single touch point where uh, as a consumer in this digital space, uh, let's say I'm going to buy something from an electronics retailer. I go on the app. I find what I want. I order it. Let's say that's all good experience. Fine. I go to pick it up curbside. And right now that experience is literally a person with gloves and a mask on and a, and a bag that's got my receipt stapled to it. They check my ID and they say, see Thank you so much. Bye. Or they don't even speak to me. That has got to change because there will be people who continue to want to shop that way. You need a cross sell there. You need an opportunity for human connection. Um, this thing where we have people who their job is like to hand you a bag and check a receipt. That's not a salesperson right now, but it it needs to be. It needs to be thought of as a sales opportunity. So I think that's something that the the physical action will continue, but I think it really needs to evolve. Um, and I think retailers who who figure out how to maximize that, even if we're talking, you know, basic upsells, you, you think about at a cash wrap those impulse items that are all right there that no one is seeing anymore, standing in line for a cash register. How do you think about? having some of that stuff happen in those, in those interactions. Uh, we have the data. There are predictive models that would tell you who's most likely to add something on and we just need to make use of it. Yeah. I, I can say one of the things that I hope doesn't go away after the pandemic uh, is uh, lean, more lenient return policies. I yeah. got to say, I'm, I'm liking that a lot yeah. as a customer. You and know, I love grocery delivery. Love it. Yeah. My favorite thing. I, I hope those those sick stickers that, on the floor that keep us distanced go away. Was <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hoping for. Um, I, I think you know we mentioned returns. I think there's also a lot of uh, a lot of stuff happening in terms of online experience and digital that hopefully can be used to cut that stuff down. And the brand is no longer in control of the customer experience. And when I say that, the customer should be in control of that. And we've had lots of conversations with retailers trying to make decisions on things like, like who should pay for the return shipping? Uh, there's an argument out there that the customer wins and like the brand should absorb that and brands are fighting back on that. So I think you you start to see like other places where convenience can be done, how do brands do it at scale and not, you know, cut into their margins so hard because the customer changed their mind. Like that's an interesting conversation. And and you know what, when you get into autonomous vehicles and all sorts of other future things, that also plays a role there again, way forward in the future. But we have to think about it now because a lot of these big organizations need years in order to implement stuff. That's true. 
Yeah. And and I think the other thing about that is knowing what, um, y- you know, what's really important to that particular individual customer it is not just what they like, but also what they don't like. So a question for retailers uh, and digital retailers are, are they maximizing the use of their, you know, the individual product rankings by customer, right? If, if I gave a review that said I hated this sweater, as you were saying, Dave, right? Like I said, it was scratchy and fit poorly or whatever. Uh, perhaps if I went to go shop uh, and, and get another one of those sweaters, it would make sense for that retailer to say, you know, you didn't really like this kind of sweater that was made of this material before. That's, that's a simply a data intersection. And I don't think people think about it that way. There are some really interesting things that that might go away. Um, you know, we had a, a lot of retail stores in the last five to 10 years work on these sort of like, you know, flagship, super customer experience stores. They were, you know, really high rent um, in the middle of of downtowns and, and walking areas and revitalized areas. Um, it's going to be hard for brands to continue to sustain the cost of those kinds of stores because they, they cost a lot to, to just have open. And now with the last year of, in many cases, not even being able to have them open at all, I don't think that those will, will exist in the same way that they existed before. Because um, as Dave has been pointing out, the, the customers are actually finding other ways to experience um, the products in ways that I think were, were really done in a, in a store environment because we didn't think that people would do it in a digital environment. Then they got forced to do it in a digital environment. Hmm, maybe yeah. not coming into the store to, to do that, uh, you know, in the future. We'll see. I, you know, so I think of a store uh, in New York that's a big electronics manufacturer. And the last time I was in there pre-pandemic, I had this impression that, you know, here's the store trying to be all things to all people and really engage all people in different ways. And my wife, who was with me, is not a real, I'm like, I'm a technologist, you know, and she's not. And she said to me as we walked out, she's like, God, is all that necessary? You know, I was going buy a phone. Right. And, um, and I say this because in my neighborhood, there's a new Aldi grocery store, and I have never been in an Aldi. And I went in last week, and my impression as I left with a smile on my face was, this is just nice and simple. Like, and I think that I'm not alone in this, that people, because of this pandemic, because we've all been forced to stay at home, because like of everything that we've been through, we've adopted some new philosophical thoughts around, you know, simplicity. Uh, you know, we don't need complicated anymore. Like when's the last time you wore a sport coat, you know, like, and it's okay. Um, people wake up in the morning and like the formality of our lives has changed. And I think that that also lends itself to the other activities in our life. Like I just want simple. I'm really happy just talking to my neighbor over the hedge, right? <laughs> As opposed to like having a dinner party. And at the same time, when I go into a grocery store like that, I, like the ability to get in and out, 
And I have only a few, you know, of different kinds of things to pick from and it being a really good value. Like I spent half as much as I normally do, bought all the same stuff. Uh, I think that that to me feels right. And I, I have to imagine that there's a lot of other consumers that also feel that way. And it'll be interesting to see how brands come out of this ideally reducing the complexity of their retail experiences and giving consumers just what they need, just what they want, right? Using data and using technology to make those decisions and being more flexible. How do you want to return it? How do you want to try it on, right? Do you want me to send you, like you look at the Warby Parker model, maybe for more brands do that kind of stuff. But I think as we come out of this, there's going to be lots of change and lots of experimentation that ultimately creates more value for the customer and more margin on the on the uh, merchandiser side. I, th I think that's really interesting, Dave. I I think I think there will be different brands for different different types of people, you know, and, and what they want. Yep. I think that will change. And I, Kelly, I agree with you that that kind of experience store experience, if you will, uh, will will have to change. But it it leads us into another topic that I wanted to ask you guys about, which is. You know, as look, the, the reality is we've seen lots of store closings. So as people, as companies close stores, they lose their local imprint. What are some of the ways that that companies are keeping in touch and keeping those those customers that would have normally shopped at that store? How are they keeping them engaged? You guys have any good uh, stories or or thoughts about how that should happen? Um, I have a a local grocer that um, did a, a really good job. So as, as an example, um, I, they didn't close, but I dropped out of being a in-person customer because unfortunately I got COVID and I, I had to stay home, you know, a hundred percent isolated for over a month. And so um, they stayed connected in a way that was digital. Um, and in fact, when I ordered my groceries from them, it was uh, the, the order was fulfilled from not my most neighborhood store. It was actually fulfilled from a probably a store that didn't have as much traffic as as my more local one did. So I think that um, the way that translates to your question, Jose, is like if there's a, a broader footprint and you have 35 stores in, in a market, for example, and half of them closed. That's pretty major, but you still have a pretty good footprint. So, you know, you can stay connected with your customer, even if, you know, the convenience of five minutes away turns into 10 minutes away, but you have to have a digital connection, it has to be personalized. Um, you need to remind people you're still around and, and that you care. And then even more than that, like when you see somebody in person, if it's possible to make that experience really genuine is how you get customers for life. You know, um, people sort of think about with nostalgia, like hardware stores, local hardware stores. So if, if that's what they want, is it because they liked how the aisles were set up or is it because they liked when they went in there, they talked to the person who was the owner, they knew who they were, they remembered how they helped them last time, they had a relationship. That's possible to do using your CRM. 
Um, but you have to have a plan for it. It doesn't just magically come together. And, and so I, I think one thing that retailers could do is if they were making those hard decisions to have to close locations, part of their close plan should be a reach out to frequent, valuable customers of those locations. They have the data. They just have to figure out how to get in front of it and own the message and redirect that customer, whether it's online or maybe to that store that's five miles away um, so that they can keep, keep the relationship in place. Yep. It's, it's interesting you say that. I, I didn't notice it uh, until you just said it, but I had a local bank, my, my local bank, one of their branches that I use uh, is closing and they, they called me and I thought it was really weird that the, that the bank was calling me, but they were calling me to let me know that it was closing and that you know I had a, these other options if I wanted to. Two tactics I've seen is first, um, doing hyper local targeting of media and redirecting media dollars to things like local, you know, local community newspapers and things like that. Right. Which is oddly uh, not where you thought we would be going. If you look five years back towards today Um, and then using the sophistication of online ad targeting. Right. And again, it's, I haven't seen anything really elegant because what I want to see is like a personal touch kind of ad that brings you into the other place or, says, you know, John from the hardware store is going to be now at a new location. Uh, it's not so much about closing. It's about change. Um, yeah. And one of the things I have seen, which is interesting, and it goes back to this live store example. I can't mention the retailer because it's, it's currently confidential. But this idea that you're using that retail property uh, while there's a slowdown in retail traffic, don't close up shop, but repurpose the store to be an online studio where those four or five salespeople can sell to customers all over the world from that retailer location. So they're saving this location uh, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper than setting up a new place, moving all these people, creating fixtures and that stuff. So interesting. there's some stuff happening there with um, in the telco space where they're reusing the physical stores as, mm. you know, remote sales agents, essentially. That's really yeah. interesting. The other way that um, retailers could use that is for training and and making sales videos and things internal, right? I I know um, we've we've done those in the past and that's been valuable. And then when your kids want to go on TikTok and sell stuff from the (laughs) store, they can. (laughs) That's right. They can have a virtual background and dance around. That's that's exactly right. All right. Well, let's let's start to uh, get to the last and, and and kind of most fun portion, which is, you know, w- what are the things that you're personally most excited about when it comes to retail? Like, what what is intriguing you these days? I want Dave to go first because I always like to hear what he's doing and think think you know, about. Like, I, I have hmm. a feeling I know what Dave's going to say actually, but I, I'm... Well, I'll be honest. The thing that First of all, just getting back to normal where we can go have a conversation with somebody and not have to like put hands sanitizer on their hands every three seconds. That would be nice um, because I love my local grocery store uh, and I, I hate not being able to like hang out and talk to the cashiers, which sounds weird. I'm not a creepy old guy, but I, I do enjoy uh, the youthful exuberance of my local cashiers. With that, I think I'm most excited about how 3D content is evolving and it's it's the content's not evolving it's the ability to produce content at scale 
and make it look photorealistic. So we've all seen the case studies of like Ikea, where the Ikea catalog is created all out of 3D content. Like they're not out with cameras building sets, 8,000 different kitchen layouts, right? It's all done in software. And with that, that technology is becoming easier to grasp um, and more scalable. And so we see lots of brands right now creating photorealistic digital versions of their products. Those can be used in the creation of content for social. They can be used to create website imagery. They can be used to create catalogs, but then they can be used in interactive formats and be customized. So you create that 3D model one time. And like, let's say it's a, I don't know, I'm looking at my desk here. I've got a Yeti water bottle. It's silver. What's it look like in black? What's it look like in red? Like we see those product configurators all the time, mostly on higher end sites, right? Because it, it, it takes somebody with a little bit of experience to create that well. I think all of that technology for 3D stuff is going to come down and become easier to access. And lastly, there's a consortium of companies in the commerce and 3D space working on a new file format that makes content like 3D models portable in that you can embed all sorts of metadata from pricing and options and things. So like it becomes like an interactive object that represents a product. And that just means that people can sell more stuff in more ways with better experiences. And to me, that's kind of interesting because I feel like I'm all about creating great experiences and I no longer have to worry about, oh God, we can't propose this experience because they don't have the content and the content's going to cost too much. That stuff comes down. We can reinvent how people shop, how people compare, how people configure. And that means better customer experiences around the board. That's re that's really cool. I, I, I actually thought you were going to go into uh, virtual goods, to be honest with you, but I, that was... Oh, uh, yeah. I yeah. Well, my whole other subject, if you want to buy a $9,500 virtual dress, Hit me up. We'll get on the blockchain and make it happen. And then we'll scratch our heads and stare at each other and be like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the the piece about the the new file type and with the metadata embedded in it. So to me, I think that opens up an entire new world. And not only from the side that you're talking about, Dave, where you're talking about creative and experiences, but I'm talking about being able to do decisioning and recommending and predictive models and all of that, because if the yeah. metadata is, um, you know, embedded within the image itself, um, that's, that's so powerful. Right. And, and it would be really, really good that way. Um, but, but I, I, that wasn't, what's going to be my favorite thing. Um, I'm hoping for in retail, like uh, one of the, my favorite things I'm hoping for in retail is really a new use of the, the beautiful spaces that retailers have, um, where they're starting to think of them as like small private event places. Yep. You know, I want to have, um, a bartender with a martini cart and a birthday party shopping with four of my best friends, a private, retail shopping experience. I think that would be awesome. Um, and there are, there are some retailers doing that, but those like very exclusive experiences that used to be personal shoppers and, and really only for like a very elite set of people, they're coming their way to your local mall, right? Because they want to sell some stuff at 8 p.m. at night. And right now it's not happening. So I'm excited about those innovations. I think they're going to be really cool. Totally agree. 
Well, I, I love I love the, uh, the the contrast there. One, you know, one is really about the content generation, photorealistic content generation that can be used to power all sorts of things, and the other is very much a, a, an in person experience uh, inside of a store to make you know to really uh, get together with friends and and have that that shopping experience. I think I think it's interesting. Two two totally different sides of the spectrum. Yep, and both. Totally valid, I think. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, guys, I, w- I want to start to to wrap this up and say thank you very much for coming. I and mean, we've covered a lot of a lot of different topics today. Some of the things what we've seen or are seeing in terms of retail from a merchandising perspective, what we see uh, the future of retailing to be after after COVID, uh, what we think are the most important things that. Uh, different companies and different retailers can do. And I really appreciate the time you've taken. It's been great to speak with you. Um, and so I don't know if you have any parting words or anything. Kelly, if you have any, feel free. Um, I, I love talking to you guys about this stuff. Every time we talk about different options or ideas, I learn more and I think it's exciting. It's just such an age of open opportunity and creativity has never had a a better um, time. Right. So I I just, I think, thank you for inviting me. This was really a lot of fun to do. I'm glad you, I'm glad you could come Kelly. It's it's been great. Yeah. I mirror that. And I, you know, any, my parting words are it's exciting that we now have options and optionality for new types of stuff, right? We've society's been through the ringer. So we're coming out of this thing and I think everybody's more open-minded about, you know, things aren't going to be the same anymore. And that gives lots of opportunities for brands to do cool new stuff that means something to people. I love the enthusiasm, (laughs) David, and the optimism. It's, uh, it's, it makes it fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining. I really appreciate it. And for all the listeners, this has been another another uh, edition of Inside Job, Making CX Work. Thank you very much for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. 